I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. For many Australians, Sydney's iconic Lunar Park, nestled under the famous Harbour Bridge, is a place of fun childhood memories. But it also has a dark and tragic past. I'm Stephen Downey and you're listening to Investigates, the podcast that lifts the veil on some of the biggest crimes and mysteries of the world. So we know that up to 11 cars were trapped in a ghost train. Almost 41 years ago, seven people were killed, six children and one adult, at Luna Park when a raging inferno with four metre high walls of fire tore through the ghost train ride. The terrible incident shocked the nation at the time. But what caused this mysterious blaze at the park on June 9, 1979? Was it an awful accident? Or was there something more sinister at play? For years there have been rumours Sydney's criminal underworld was connected to the fire. I suppose those who want to believe that there is something particularly sinister will continue to believe it. So what's the truth? Journalist John Burford has investigated the horrific ghost train fire and he's with us today to tell us what really happened all those years ago. Hey, John. Hey, Stephen. John, we're talking about the Luna Park fire. In Luna Park, I mean, I think if I'm right in saying this, that a lot of people, a lot of Australians have great memories of, of going to Luna Park as kids. There's great rides there and you know, obviously people go there today. And yet 40 years ago... Something really tragic happened, didn't it? It is. It's it, exactly as you're saying. Luna Park, whether you live in Sydney or Melbourne, Luna Park has that association of that great day out, that great day of fun, laughter, and when you're a kid, it was the kind of place that you know is a great treat. In Sydney, it's it's one of the iconic spots because it's right on the harbour. It's right underneath the Harbour Bridge. It's directly opposite the Opera House. It's part of that circuit of the harbour that you go, oh, and there's Luna Park and that that wonderful laughing face. Well, 40 years ago, that laughing face turned into a a story of absolute tragedy and and great tears. And some people who had gone there for a, a night of terrific fun with families and with their friends ended up not making it out alive. And I think that's the really sad point that while Luna Park continues to be a a great spot today and is doing incredible uh, numbers of people still returning there. So it's lovely to see the generations have continued the sense of fun. 40 years ago, however, is its darkest spot in its history. John, tell us what happened uh, on that night on the uh, the ghost train ride. Yeah, 40 years ago. So June the 9th of 1979 it was a saturday night it was early winter and it was pretty full it was pretty full so it was it was early winter so it wasn't too cold and there was this wonderful ride called the ghost train anybody who lived in sydney at that time and i was just a very young kid at that time but you remembered the ghost train and it was one of the great rides you'd get on and there were things that would drop out of the ceiling and there would be people like hiding in the shadows who would jump out at you. You had carriages on these little tracks that went through. But it was a great ride. 
and it was um, one of these where you where you went to you know have a good scream and to, and to be scared. Yes, there are lots of ghosts in here. You shiver and quake, and the ghost train. <laughs> Luna Park's Ghost Train Ride was built in 1931 at Luna Park Glenelg in South Australia and transported to its home at Milsons Point in time for Luna Park Sydney's grand opening in 1935. And for years the ride worked fine, until one disastrous night. The ride was operating as usual, it was pretty busy, and at the time that a fire broke out, there were actually 35 people on the ride, and it was a quite a complex ride. I, as I said, I remember it. Rails going everywhere and, and passengers going everywhere. So if anything happened in there, it would have been a hell of a trip to actually get back out because it really wasn't a clear path. As I said, 35 people were riding and um, this fire broke out. And when the fire broke out, 11 of the cars that were going through were trapped by the fire. And it, when the investigations um, were, were later being done, it turned out that a lot of people, when they saw the fire and smoke, instead of staying in the car and coming out on the rails because it would have eventually come back out to the exit, they actually jumped off the car and went looking for an exit and that's where the problems happened. So these these people were trapped inside, this horrible fire took place and tragically seven people, six children and one adult all perished. That's it's a horrific uh, number and they think at the time... Could they put their finger on what caused it? Yeah, th- that was the thing. Luna Park, as wonderful and as polished and as shiny and great as it is today, and I'm going to say this, in the late 70s, was pretty ramshackle. A lot of it was done with paper mache. A lot of it was done with cardboard. And it was great, but it wasn't the, the best and, and most well-maintained place. And there had been a number of uh, safety reports in, in before the fire saying, listen, this needs to be done, that needs to be done, this needs to be repaired. And one of the things that was said that there was essential maintenance that had to take place, including the installation of a uh, sprinkler system, and that had not been done. So while you had all this material there that was just ripe for a fire to go ripping through, the maintenance that needed to be done to protect the ride and the people inside in the time of um, any possible disaster hadn't been done. It was pretty ripe for for something terrible to happen. There was also electrical problems because there was um, electrical maintenance and wiring uh, maintenance that had not been completed. So you've got quite a combustible situation going on here that maintenance hadn't been done, the material was there, there there was uh, no sprinkler system and you have this ride that is full of people. Also a ride that was full of electrics because you had lights flashing and you had cars going through and you had um, you know all kinds of things flashing and going on. And, it, and basically they put it down to say the fire was later blamed on an electrical fault and the fact that the maintenance hadn't been done. So poorly maintained was Luna Park at that time. As I said, it's a world apart today, was that when the fire brigade arrived, they couldn't get water. And they had to actually put their hoses into Sydney Harbour to pump water out of the harbour to fight the fire. And so, like, there are basically hoses going everywhere trying to fight this fire. And the firefighters were really hampered in what they were trying to do to bring this blaze under control. Meanwhile, there are these people trapped inside. You can only imagine how terrible that would have been, you know, these walls of fire... They're trying to fight the, you know, the, the blaze, and you yeah. can hear probably the children screaming in the uh, in, inside the uh, the ride. Well, that, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, the ghost train was where, as I said, you went if you wanted to have a scream and you wanted to have some fun being 
been um, terrified, but those screams actually were screams of terror. And there was one of the uh, witnesses who actually did escape who said the flames inside were four metres high. Like there were actual walls of flames that people were trapped everywhere they went. And as I said, it was it was so – the material in there was so combustible. It was just a matter of a spark setting the whole thing alight and it, it went up pretty fast. And footage of that time is just – it's just horrific of this place that so many people remember being a place of fun and all you can see is flame and, and firefighters in front of it just doing their best to bring it under control. Luna Park was shut down after the incident as investigators tried to determine the cause of the fire. But a coronial inquiry at the time failed to provide any real answers. Then, eight years later, the government reopened the investigation. There were all kinds of conspiracy theories. There were all kinds of theories that um, it had been deliberately lit. It was an arson attack. There was one claim that that somebody wanted to get rid of the park and get rid of its heritage listing because it is a heritage-listed property, very important part of the harbourside, and they wanted to redevelop it. Developers wanted to move in because it's it's key harbourside land. There were a few people that came forward with different theories and some new evidence. But um, the exact cause of the fire, and adding to this, was the exact cause of the fire could never be determined by the coronial inquiry. And when the case was reopened in 1987, so eight years later, no new findings were made. So people were claiming, oh, this person supposedly said this or this person supposedly said that. And no, it, it basically was like there was nothing new to be found. It's another one of these situations where it was a horrific incident and it's one of the, the really dark days of, um, of Sydney history. But when you look into it, nobody's ever been charged and nobody's ever been held fully accountable. And as I said, and just to make this really clear, the management of Luna Park today is a very, very different company, uh, completely different owners, different management. The way things were being run in those days is very different to what we have today. And occupational health and safety standards uh, have changed dramatically since those times. We're talking about a, an amusement park that was a, a very different place and run in a very different way. Now, John, you have spoken to uh, former police uh, detective Duncan McNabb. Mm. What did he have to say about this one? Well, listen, one of the people that uh, that came up in some of the, the, the stories about who was responsible for the fire or who was involved with the fire was notorious crime world figure Abe Saffron, who was one of the... Um, the great kingpins of King's Cross, a man who was involved in all kinds of deals and he had a lot of underworld connections. And there were certain scenarios that he may have been responsible for this. And um, yes, I did. I had a, a good chat with Duncan. Duncan wrote the biography, The Usual Suspect, The Life of Abe Saffron, and did a lot of interviews with Abe Saffron and, and got to know um, Abe quite well. Duncan, I should also note, is a, um, a former policeman and he was actually a young cop at this time. And he was in Manly and uh, the investigations into the Luna Park fire was in the northern Sydney precinct of the police force. And Duncan was telling me that he knew some of the cops that went down there to do the investigation. And he said the emergency workers there and the police who were there said it was just horrible as they couldn't stop the fire. But when Duncan was working on the biography, he actually asked Abe some direct questions and said, put the questions to, to Abe saying people have said you were possibly involved or somehow, you know, you you have been mentioned. But he said Abe 
absolutely denied it. Duncan was saying to me, from the people he knew who were involved in the investigation, he said basically, A, there was really never any credible and full evidence to support that Abe was involved, but secondly, that failed wiring and uh, a place that probably should have been much better maintained than it was, was actually the res- real responsibility for the fire. So people keep thinking, because it so, it's so horrible for all the places that it could have taken place at Luna Park, it took place in the ghost train. You know, a place of ghoul and a, a place of terror. It didn't take place on one of the, you know, like a merry-go-round. It's taking place in the ghost train. And I think that just that just adds to the darker as, aspect of it. There was also some other conspiracy theories like the photo, the uh, the famous photo of the family the, uh, taken at Circular Quay just before they got on the ferry that supposedly showed them with a, um, a ghoul. And it was just a, a man with a, well, what would you call it? He had horns in his head and he had a ghoulish mask on and he was wearing these animal clothing. And uh, one of the boys, that was the last ever photo taken of him, the Godson family who had come down from the country. And uh, there was a newspaper report saying that um, it was a satanic figure. And other people said afterwards, you walk around circular key at any time and all kinds of figures are coming out of you left, right and centre. It is a bit creepy, but that's when some of the scenarios came in saying it was a, it was all part of a, a satanic curse. Some awful things. And I don't think stories like that actually helped the families that were trying to cope with it. Uh, and just to mention, the Godson family who'd come down from the country, and that was John Godson, his two children, Damien and Craig. And then there were some um, local Sydney schoolboys from Waverley College, and that was Jonathan Billings, Richard Carroll, Michael Johnson, and Seamus Rahilly. And tragically, those seven people all lost their life. John, that is tragic. And I read a story about Jenny. She was talking about um, obviously losing her husband and, and her two sons in that mm. fire. And she says, you know, something, you know, basically words to the effect that, you know, she was having an ice cream. She went to get an ice cream and uh, mm. said, I'll meet you guys uh, later when they went on the, on the ghost train. And obviously they never, they never came out. And, and it's interesting when Jenny talks about that because she, I should say they were actually from the central western New South Wales town of Warren. And she said she actually didn't really like ice cream that much. But as they were walking across to the ride, she had this, what she called a bizarre craving for ice cream. And she said to her family, listen, you go on the ride. I'm going to go back and get some ice cream. I've just got this craving for an ice cream. And um, she was standing there and she went to get the ice cream. And then when she was on her way back, she was looking at the ride and she started to hear, hearing people screaming. And she also saw smoke coming out of the ride. And she thought, okay, and people running out of it, not just screaming because they'd just been through the ride, but she knew something was was horribly, horribly wrong. And tragically, her husband and two young sons um, perished inside that fire. And there's a couple of memorials. John, tell us about those. Yeah, there are. It's it's actually credit to to Luna Park, which, as I said, is a a place of fun, but they have actually paid tribute and honoured the people that died there. Um, On the site, anyone that's been to Luna Park recently... There's the big top, I guess you'd call it performance space. They do concerts there. They do parties in there. And on that's where the ghost train, among other rides, once stood. And on the side of it is a plaque that honours the um, the people that were lost that day. And just around the corner from Luna Park at the Art Bar- Barton Park, which is on the harbourside walk between um, well, where the Harbour Bridge is and around Lavender Bay, there's uh, a bronze sculpture designed by Ma- Michael Lunig paying tribute to the, um, the people that... Were, were lost that day. So there's actually two really appropriate and really important tributes to 
the people and to that part in Luna Park. It's 40 years ago. I think it's important to remember it as it is, is one of the, the darker days in in Sydney history. It was just unthinkable that this place that everyone had had so much fun and great time across the years. And during wartime, Luna Park was often the place that uh, American soldiers used to love to go on R&R when they met up with local Sydney girls. And that's where they often used to go and party. And there were great stories about the parties that used to be had in Luna Park and people across the years, of course, had you know, been there on dates and a place that kids had grown up. But it's that one really dark stain in, in its history. Thankfully, after a few stops and starts, because it, um, it closed down for quite a few years and was owned by one group and then that didn't work out and then was owned by another group and had a complete renovation. It's now open, been open full time now for well over a decade and is doing tremendously well. Yeah, we must add that, you know, these days it is it is still a, a fixture on the cars for a lot of young families, Abs- any families older families too. Absolutely. And, and also some of the heritage um, listed National Trust aspects of it, like Coney Island, you know, wonderful Coney Island and that great face and the rotor and a, and a couple of the other great rides that are National Trust and they can't be touched. They, they have to remain there, are great. And it is like a bit of a step back to the glory days and then you've got the, the modern rides. And, you know, the great thing is when you go to, to Luna Park, you can be on the, the roller coaster there and suddenly you're looking up and there's the Harbour Bridge and there next to you is the Opera House and as you've been turned upside down, there's a, the harbour off to one side. So it's got a wonderful sense of experience when, when you're there. But um, for the people that were lost 40 years ago, it's worth paying tribute to them. Thanks for listening to this episode of Investigates. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we're taking a break, but we'll be back soon. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.